Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Allendary, and I'm an infectious disease specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Hope Hickerson, and I'm a health education specialist and reporter. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician, that's me, and a health education expert, that's me, talk to healthcare professionals about what you need to know about COVID-19, as well as community and public health. For more information about Noise Filter, your public health podcast, and to watch and share our incredible informative animations, please visit us at noisefiltershow.com. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. So let's get started. The U.S. should consider stricter COVID protocols for domestic air travel, some experts say. As many who have traveled abroad during the pandemic likely know, Americans returning from international air travel have to provide either proof of vaccination or two negative COVID tests in order to be allowed to reenter the country. But domestic travel has no such provisions. This means that in most cases, the only COVID precautions on flights within the country are masking while in flight and social distancing policies that only apply in airports. Wow. As the holidays approach and travel begins to ramp back up, some medical experts say these protections on domestic flights aren't enough. Congress is currently considering a bill that would put vaccination requirements in place, though the Biden administration has stated that they are prioritizing other efforts to increase the vaccination rate. Canada plans to begin requiring a test or shot on domestic flights. Many airline representatives have said that restrictions on domestic travelers are unreasonable as cabin air filtration systems mitigate the spread of the virus. In fact, some airlines have said that air cabins are safer from spreading COVID than surgical operating rooms. However, according to The New York Times, this is only sort true because cabin air is renewed every two to three minutes. And this is only effective at preventing transmission when all passengers are appropriately masking. But some research has shown that masking on planes isn't consistent enough. And I can vouch for that because I was just on the plane this past weekend. So, yeah, people were not masking. They were, but there were, you know, moments when people were talking that masks would come down. Obviously, when people were eating, the masks come down. So it's yeah. not a consistent time that the mask is on 100 percent of the time. Yeah. Others are concerned that requiring proof of vaccination on all flights could slow airport activity even more, adding to the long lines of the holidays. Hawaii, the only state that does have a domestic vaccine requirement, has helped to streamline this by asking passengers to upload their documentation before they arrive to the airport. And for a hot minute, we were actually going to go to Hawaii, and I actually had to participate in that process. It was not easy. So if anybody from Hawaii is listening, I will let you know the process for showing my vaccine ahead of time was a very difficult process. If you guys can streamline it, that would be great. But I disagree with the argument that it's going to increase lines because, first of all, you're already showing tickets. And two, a lot of this stuff is online. Yes, it's easy to go online and there should be some easy way of being able to document our vaccine requirements. I was able to do it very easily when I went to Portugal and there was a very easy window for me to upload it. And it was approved within 15 minutes of me uploading it. So clearly there were people there watching for it to be there. So I am the strong supporter of this. I think the airlines don't want to do this because there's such a huge proportion of the population who is not vaccinated. And uh, Uh, they would lose business. And that's what I think is really going on here. 
Yeah, I agree too. I actually went to Hawaii in May. And so I went through the process as well. And yeah, it was difficult, people, wasn't it? It was. It was. Yes, it was not easy. And you <laughs> and I are like tech. I mean, we're not like computer geniuses, but like right. we know our way around a computer, right? <laughs> right, right. It was like, wow, okay. But I will say when I got to the airport, it was a quick process because they had stations set up ahead of time. So it would not be that difficult for airlines to do this. They right. just, like you said, they just don't want to do this. They don't want to do it. Absolutely. Well, we'll continue to follow the story. Workers go on Striketober. Striketober, that word didn't exist before the pandemic, but it is steadily gaining steam online. The best way to describe it is workers who were deemed essential and indispensable at the beginning of the pandemic, but were still making low wages. They've had enough. According to NBC News, after 19 months of deciding between the health and safety of themselves and their families to work on the front line during a pandemic, Many low-wage workers are now demanding increased wages, meal and rest breaks, better benefits, and shorter shifts. From healthcare workers to stage crews in Hollywood, nearly 100,000 U.S. workers are either currently going on strike or preparing to strike to improve working conditions. Thousands of workers at John Deere, Kaiser Permanente, and the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees in Hollywood are preparing to strike. They will join thousands of other workers who have recently faced a similar decision, including Kellogg plant workers who are on strike and Nabisco employees who recently entered their strike after a week. Johnny Callis, a Ph.D. student at Cornell University School of Industrial and Labor Relations, who tracks labor actions across the U.S., said recently, it's a combination of two factors. Workers have more labor market leverage with employers meeting and struggling to hire. And then a lot of these workers have been on the front line of a global pandemic for the past 19 months and were touted as heroes, which has given them a lot of leverage. He also said that as of mid-October, 175 strikes have been documented this year. Wow, that's incredible. Right. When many different workers go on strike at the same time, it is known as a strike wave, said Kate Broffenbrenner, the Director of Labor Education Research at the School of Industrial and Labor Relations. Strikes can be contagious for unions and workers, she said. They are shared issues that are pushing workers to go on strike, and the workers are looking at each other and getting inspired. There are many strike waves in U.S. history as working conditions reached a particular threshold and workers refuse to accept them any longer. Ironically, as scary and stressful as a pandemic has been for some, it has given workers time to rethink their priorities and perspectives towards life. For others, the pandemic was a clear reminder that workers were risking their lives for little reward. Catherine Fisk, a professor at the University of California, Berkeley School of Law, said on the low wage side, these workers were essential. They faced high death rates, but couldn't afford housing or health care. This is activism born of desperation. Labor experts also pointed out that no worker wants to go on strike. Striketober was started because of necessity, because workers refuse to settle. We have to acknowledge that it's a huge sacrifice and takes a lot of courage to leave a job, along with the pay and security that comes with it. Indeed. And then Dr. Deary, also, like, they're not asking for much. They're asking for equal pay breaks. And I mean, this is not rocket science that they're asking for here. No, it goes to show how much as a society we don't value the working classes. Right. Uh, and it took the pandemic to kind of have a collective wake up call. And in America, things happen with these 
dramatic shifts. Either things happen, you know, things move slowly or they have these very, very dramatic shifts. And I really hope that the working classes continue to remain activated and awake yes. and demand for greater parity and basically a more balanced work-life perspective as well. Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast, follow us on social media, and to leave us a review, letting us know your favorite part of the show. You can find me, Hope Pickerson, at www.hopepickerson.com. And you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at the Dr. Derry, that's D-R-D-E-R-Y. You can follow us at Noise Filter on Instagram, Noise Filter NOLA on Twitter, and to see and share our amazing animations and to find out more information about us and the show, go to noisefiltershow.com. Just as a reminder, COVID-19 and the human immunodeficiency virus, HIV, do share the same risk factors. We are so grateful to our sponsors, Access Health Louisiana, and to the South Central AETC. You can learn more about them at www.scaetc.org. Hope, any last words? Yes, stay well out there, folks, and continue taking the steps to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. That includes exercise, a good diet, and seeing your healthcare provider regularly. And protect yourselves and others by getting the COVID-19 vaccine, wearing a mask, and social distancing wherever possible. As an infectious diseases doctor, I also want to share with the healthcare providers in our audience that the HIV Care Tools app was recently launched by the AIDS Education and Training Center, the AETC. And it's a fantastic tool for ensuring your patients have access to the best standard of care. I encourage you all to check it out. And remember, health is a human right.